is honored to have Dr. Gregory Feist with us today, who will shed light on the age-old question. On the age-old question, is creativity somehow connected to mental disorders? So when we heard he was going to be in town. We were delighted to have him come to Moraine. He was open, so we're thankful for that and uh, to speak to our students. Uh, Dr. Gregory Feist is a professor of psychology in personality and adult development at San Jose State University. He's also taught at the College of William and Mary and the University of California, Davis. He received his doctorate from the University of California, Berkeley, and his undergraduate degree from the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. Dr. Feist is widely published in the psychology of creativity, the psychology of science, and the development of scientific talent. One of his major goals is establishing the psychology of science as a healthy and independent study of science along the lines of history, philosophy, and sociology of science. Toward, toward this end, Dr. Feist has published a book titled Psychology of Science, and the Origins of the Scientific Mind, which was awarded the 2007 William James Book Prize by the American Psychological Association's Division of General Psychology. Uh, in addition, he's the founding president of the International Society for the Psychology of, Sci of Science and Technology. A second major focus for Dr. Feist is the identification and development of scientific talent, as seen in finalists of the Westinghouse and Intel Science Talent Search. His paper, which was co-authored with Frank Barron, which is called Predicting Creativity from Early to Late Adulthood, Intellect, Potential, and Personality, won Article of the Year in 2003 in the Journal of Research and Personality and Psychology of Aesthetics, Creativity in the Arts. Uh, his teaching efforts have, have been recognized by outstanding teaching awards at both UC Berkeley and UC Davis. Dr. Feist is also an author for McGraw-Hill. He has authored, co-authored the undergraduate textbook, Psychology, theories of personalities which we use on this campus uh, with his father Jess Feist and Tommy Ann Roberts. In his spare time, Dr. Feist enjoys spending time cycling, skiing, and with his sons Jerry and Evan. Uh, so join me in welcoming Dr. Gregory Feist. Thanks. I didn't realize my kids were going to get a shot out here. I'll, I'll have to tell them. They'll be excited. Uh, thank you. Thank you. This is actually uh, an honor and, and, a, and a pleasure to be here. Um, even though I'm from Northern California, I, I actually was born in Kansas, so I'm a little bit familiar with uh, the Midwest, although it's been a while. <coughs> so, um, yeah, and I, although I'm not quite used to the cold wind, uh, that's, that's something that takes a little getting used to. So, um, yeah, so today my talk, as you can see and, and know, it, it's really one of the age-old questions. Uh, is there a connection between mental illness uh, and world-class creativity? Um, so, just to give you a sense, you know, hopefully you're familiar with all these people, uh, from William Shakespeare to Virginia Woolf to Da Vinci to Newton, Einstein, Curie, uh, Bach, Beethoven, Van Gogh, and Picasso. These are obviously extreme cases of genius. Okay. Uh, and by the way, um, one thing that I just want to point out, and we'll talk about this, is there is a connection between genius and creativity, but they're not the same thing. You know, you can be. Uh, it takes a special kind of creativity to be a, a, a genius. So these people are all that. They've changed the world. Um, but the question of mad, madness, as it's historically been called, and genius, really was first brought up by good old Aristotle, uh, possibly Seneca, but, but most people attribute it to Aristotle. Uh, and this was the quote, there's no real genius without some touch of madness. So the idea is that if you're really, really creative and at a genius level, you're also going to be a little bit off. Uh, and maybe those two things are, are somehow, it's not a coincidence, that they might even be causally related. Not to say that all mad people, as I used the word back then, more generically, uh, were genius, of course, but if you were a genius, you probably 
had this. Uh, at least that's the question. Then one of my uh, one of my intellectual heroes, the guy that I wrote a paper with that, uh, that uh, we just talked about, Frank Barron. Actually, I love this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes because it really is a balanced view. He says, thus the creative genius may be at once naive and knowledgeable, being at home equally in primitive symbolism and to rigorous logic. He's both more primitive and more cultured, more destructive and more constructive, occasionally crazier, that's, this is the real phrase, occasionally crazier and yet adamantly saner than the average person. So what Barron is saying is that the really creative person is both. They, can, they, they have this, the, as he called it, ego strength, to go into the depths of these kind of wild, crazy ideas, but then they have the ego strength to come out of that, okay, and do something creative and constructive with it, uh, which is, takes a real, a, a real skill. And then uh, another major uh, figure in the field right now, Dean Simonton, um, said this about the connection. He's actually arguing for a different view. He says, few creative individuals can be considered truly mentally ill. Indeed, outright disorder usually inhibits rather than helps creative expression. Furthermore, a large, a large portion of creators exhibit no symptoms, at least not to any measurable degree. And actually, that is a, that's another important point. That if you're really mentally uh, disturbed, uh, you're probably not going to be creative because, by definition, mental illness at that level is dysfunctional. And dysfunctional means it interferes with everyday functioning. So there's probably some sweet spot is kind of what, what Simon Dent is suggesting, too. Uh, and that's really one of the questions. Um, let me, I'm going to give you two quotes. One from a, a world-class creative person and one from a uh, mentally ill person. And I'm going to see if you can tell me which is which quote. Here's the first quote. They're all so different. Boylean talking about the shape of my foot. He noticed that once, even before he was introduced, when I was in the DVC with Poldy laughing and trying to listen, I was waggling my foot. We both ordered two teas of plain bread and butter, and I saw him looking with two old maids of sisters. When I stood up and asked the girl, where it was, what do I care with it dropping out of me in that black clothes breeches he made me buy? Takes you half an hour to let down wedding all myself, always with some brand new fad every other week. Got it? Make sense? Okay. Now, is that from a crazy, crazy person or is this one? This creation in which we live began with dominant nature as an identification body of a completed evolutionary strong material creation in which a major body resistance, in a major body resistance force, and is fulfilling the nature identification in a like weaker material identification creation, in which two major bodies have already fulfilled radio body balances, and embodying a third material identification embodiment of both. Which one was the world-class creative, written by the world-class creative person? Why do you say that? <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, right. They're both, I think it's fair to say, they're both equally kind of what, huh? You know, they're, they're, they, at least on the surface, don't really make a whole lot of sense. As it turns out, yes, the first quote is from James Joyce's Ulysses. And have you at least heard of that? You know, it was actually deemed the most creative and important work of English literature of the 20th century. And so what James Joyce was doing, he was actually influenced by Freud, actually, and James Joyce in Ulysses decided to make the internal workings of a person's mind the, the thrust of, of, of Ulysses. So he was, that's a kind of a stream of consciousness. And notice there was no grammar, you know, uh, or anything. But, but if you really paid attention to your own thinking, that's what it would be like. It would just be this run-on sentences, not grammatical, not logical, not really rational. And that's what our minds are like. And that's what Joyce was so creative because he was the first writer 
to make that the material of, of literature. This, on the other hand, is written by uh, someone who is schizophrenic, diagnosable as schiz with schizophrenia, and it's called word salad. I don't know if any of you taken abnormal psych yet. But word salad is when you when you speak in in a way that's kind of like when you toss a salad. Okay, and you're tossing a salad, and the, uh, you're just kind of throwing words together. I mean, all of these words individually make sense, and they almost make sense in a sentence, but they really don't. They're just kind of thrown together. Okay, so this is actually a schizophrenic person, and the first one was a world-class creative person. And so one of the points here is what is creativity? I don't know if you probably can't see this, especially in the back, but this is a recent cartoon. It says, I'm going to cut my hair. Super innovative, right? And, and the, the box then says, it's not always healthy to think outside the box, okay, which is one of the key phrases for being creative. Let's just think outside the box. Let's just be different, to be different. Well, this makes it clear uh, that creativity is not just difference. It's not just, it's just not uh, originality. Because actually, those two quotes also, they were equally original. Neither one of them are, were ever thought before, probably. They were completely original, and yet one is deemed creative and one isn't. And the reason... Uh, one is creative is because uh, creativity involves both originality and novelty. Yes, that's, you know, when I ask students, what makes someone creative? They always say original and different. And then I say, well, but that's not quite enough. You know, putting your hair in a blender, cutting your hair in a blender, which is what she's doing, is really original. It's not really creative, though, okay, because it's not, it's not meaningful or adaptive or useful. So when we talk about creativity, uh, it really needs to be both. And so the second criterion for creativity is that it has to have social meaning to other people. You know, Van Gogh, for instance, wasn't deemed creative in his life because people didn't understand what he was doing. Uh, it was a little bit ahead of his time, but then soon after he died, actually, uh, people start to appreciate Van Gogh's paintings, and they became really uh, quite influential. But they had meaning. But, but during his life, they didn't really have meaning to other people. So creativity is, is, is ultimately a social, a social evaluation. So when we talk about literary, music, or science forms that are really creative, what they're doing is they're, they're creating new, new branches of music, or literature, or art. So they're, they're meaningful to other people in that way. Okay. So that's just a little bit of a backdrop as to what I mean by creating. And so when I talk about creative genius, I'm talking about people who are creating both original and very meaningful works of art or, or scientific findings or ideas. Um, okay. This is depressing. 46% is the rate in the U.S. population of some kind of mental disorder at some point in their life. Okay, so 46% of us will, be, will have a diagnosable disorder at some point in our adult life, according to this research. This is uh, Kessler. It's now 10 years old, but it's actually, this is a, a big, big uh, study. It actually hasn't changed too much right now. Um, by the way, you know, so, uh, well, on the one hand, that means 56% of us aren't, but also notice that people who do have a disorder are likely to have more than one disorder. By the way, the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for, for Diagnosing Mental Disorders, in, in, in the U.S. especially, has over 300 disorders. So, for instance, alcoholism is a, is a, is a disorder. You know, uh, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorders, phobias, you know, uh, mood disorders like depression, bipolar, uh, personality disorders, narcissism, paranoia, and so on and so forth. So, 
all of those count. So when we talk about 46%, we're just saying at least one disorder at some point in, in the adult life. And this is important in order to address this question of is there a connection between mental illness and creativity? Because we have to know what the baseline is. We have to know what the rate in the general population is and then compare our highly creative people to this, to this number. Okay, that's, that's really the crux of it. Um, so back in the 90s, this guy, Arnold Ludwig, wrote a book called The Price of Greatness. And he did a major analysis of over 1,000 really creative people in 18 different professions. And, uh, and we can group them into, uh, in this case, five different groups of professions, the natural sciences, the social sciences, poetry, architecture, and art. And art, by the way, includes uh, both visual art and music uh, here. And then here's our base rate of 46% in the general population. And so what does this tell you? Is creativity related, according to this study, of over 1,000 famous people? By the way, these were based on biographer, biographies. These were famous creative people who had biographies written about them, and they analyzed the biography for the presence or absence of mental illness. And so what they found is, in poetry, these world-class creative poets, 87% of them had some, at least one mental illness, 87%. Okay, compared to the base rate of 46%, whereas social science and architecture were roughly the, the base rate, not really much elevated. Uh, natural scientists, so this is people like physicists and chemists and geologists. They're actually less likely to suffer mental illness. And then artists, musicians and visual artists also seem to be a little bit elevated. So let me just ask you just to make sure you're kind of here with me. Um, what would your conclusion from this, this be? I'm going to pick on somebody else this time. Although you had a very good answer last <laughs> Yeah. Ah. So you're interpreting. You're already interpreting. Let's first describe that. Actually, that's a, that's a good. You're kind of explaining maybe why there's this relationship. But let's first just be clear on what, what our general conclusion would be from, from these data. And then later on, and in fact, I'm going to ask you that question, and let's come back to that, because actually you're, you're really right on uh, in terms of why. Uh, but that's a separate question. So if you, were to, if you had to write a, a, a summary description of this graph, what would, what would the headline be? OK, well. <laughs> We're not just depressed, or in any kind of disorder, right? Yes, but as a kind of generalizing, right? Well, right. It's quite clear that so the question of, according to Ludwig, a question of the price of greatness. Who's paying for their greatness? Is everyone? Apparently not. It's really the artists and the poets. Um, and yeah, the reason why is an interesting question, and we'll come back to that. So, the reason I bring this up is because this study that that one of my grad students and I are doing is we're basing, we're, we're going to replicate and extend this study. Uh, that's what we're doing right now. We're actually still in the middle of it. So that, so we used Ludwig's uh, findings as our, as the, as the basis of our own predictions and hypotheses. World-class creative artists will have elevated rates of lifetime mental wellness relative to world-class creative scientists and the general population. Okay. Uh, get some water here. See, what I'm really interested in as, um, is, is also scientists, creative scientists. And I um, want to compare artists to scientists, because uh, to me that's an interesting, interesting comparison. Um, 
So how did we? So this now I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, background on this study that I'm I'm doing. Um, again, we kind of replicated Ludwig, uh, but did a little bit differently. Uh, we had people who had to be born uh, either before 1980, or if they're still alive, and some of them are still alive, or they had to have died after 1950, because uh, we didn't want to do the same sample that Ludwig did, and Ludwig did people who died before 1950. Um, so, and then we had to have, these are world-class people, so and the reason we say that is because they have biographies written about them. You know, by definition, if you're an artist or a writer or a musician or a poet uh, or whatever, and you have a biography written about you, that means you're pretty well-known, obviously. That's the idea. Uh, what we also wanted is we wanted e-versions of these books. We wanted, ideally, Kindle versions so we could scan them and so on, but not all of them were in that format, so we then had to scan them ourselves. And then in terms, to be even possibly in our study, they had to, there had to be a ranking of the most influential and creative. And we took the top 45 people across a, a bunch of different professions, according to these rankings. These were like dictionaries of scientific biography, Britannica biographer, biographies of scientists, artifacts of the top 1,000 visual artists, Nobel Prize laureates, uh, ranking of the top greatest novel, and so forth. So these were the, this is where we got our, our sample from, at least uh, the initial sample. And then what we did is we had to get them, again, all in electronic format, because we're trying to, see what we're doing here is a biography had to be about the person's life, obviously. So, and so then we wanted to see whether the biographer said anything about them being alcoholic or depressive or schizophrenic or having anxiety disorders and so on and so forth. Because if they had those, the biographer would write about them. It was our assumption. Okay. Uh, all kinds of disorders like depression, mania, obsession, having hallucinations, suicide, uh, PTSD, insomnia, anxious, impulsive. These are all standard uh, disorders. Uh, thanks. Okay, that we were coding for. And so then we have all these paragraphs about these books. Now, just because these words show up doesn't mean they're, they're describing the person in question. They might be describing their parent or their child or their relative. So we had to make sure that, that those paragraphs were coded only if they were describing uh, the creator themselves, not someone else. So we had, to, we had to make sure of that. And then what we had to do is we had to take these paragraphs and have them coded blindly by undergraduate research assistants uh, who don't know who these people are. We re redacted, meaning we, we changed. Every time their name showed up, it, it was changed by a computer to just say creator. So they didn't know who they were rating. We didn't want to bias them. They had to be blind um, to the identity of the, of the creator. So we started with over 700 artists, scientists. Oh, and aptly, I forgot to say that our, our comparison, our base rate besides the general population, is famous or well-known athletes because they have biographies written about them too, but they're not creative. They're not artists or scientists or musicians or writers and so on. Uh, you know, uh, so we went from 766. Um, but as it turns out, about half of them had no biographies written about them. They were in our ranking, so we couldn't study them. So we ended up with 375 uh, potential participants. Now we're, uh, I'm trying to get to 250 altogether. We're not quite there, but, but so this is still going on. But we've purchased 188 of those biographies out of 375. Uh, we have 180 of them in this electronic format. And then we've selected and fully rated 161. So we're, we're getting there um, of these paragraphs. So what we have is artists. We have about half of those 61 are artists. And by the way, for us, artists also includes, you'll see here, uh, uh, actors. Okay, uh, my little son's an actor, and I'm going to 
claim that, that actors as actors, good actors, are artists, actually. Uh, visual artists, fiction writers, poets, actors, musical performers, and musical composers. Uh, so 81, um, and then we have about 60 scientists. These are people in technology, people like Steve, uh, other people who changed the world, computer science, mathematics, physics, chemistry, earth science, that I, ah, psychology. We have a few psychologists in this sample. Um, sociology, anthropology, paleoanthropology. And then we have athletes. We, we're, we're behind on the athlete part of the study, so it's still kind of uh, really preliminary. Uh, we only have a, about 80, I mean about 21. Uh, and also notice, by the way, and this is something that I, I'm going to want to try to change um, as best we can, is we do we an imbalance of women, okay? The, the one we have the most, but even then it's only one out of five, is, is the art. Um, the science is only 7%. I mean, these were professional athletes. That we actually do have, we haven't coded her yet, though. We have a couple of tennis players, female tennis players. But basically, they, these are all male, well, historically male sports. Uh, well, basketball now has um, uh, the WNBA. Uh, but baseball, basketball, football, golf, tennis, soccer, swimming, and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's our sample. Here's just give you a sense of when these people were born. The majority of them were born in the first 20 years of the 1900s from our sample. Okay, a few people all the way back to the 1870s. Uh, but they were old. They had to live uh, uh, till uh, 1950 or so. Anyway, and then a few people. There were a few born uh, in the 70s, but not many. But the majority of our sample uh, were born in the first, first couple of decades of the, of the 20th century. Ah, so here are the. We didn't do all 200 disorders. That would be crazy, no pun intended. But you know, to, to code that many uh, disorders. But here are the ones we chose, and these are the major disorders. You know. Alcoholism, uh, drug abuse, depression, bipolar, anxiety disorder, OCD, schizophrenia, autism, suicide. Most of these are in the 1% range, though, if you look at the general population, except depression. Anyone have any idea what the general population rate for depression, clinic, we're talking about clinical depression, is? It's pretty high. Nope. Not that, that's, it's about half that. It's about 10%. So that means 10% of us are diagnosed is by far the biggest disorder, uh, um, or the most common, I should say. Uh, anxiety disorders are too, but the depression is one of the, and alcoholism, actually alcoholism is a little higher. That's the only one that, that is higher than depression. Uh, kleptomania, you know what that is. Stealing, <laughs> having to steal things. Uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, gambling, various, synesthesia. Do any of you know what synesthesia is? What is synesthesia? Right, exactly, good. So it's when your senses, some people have cross-wiring of their sensory modalities. So, so when, they, when they, let's say they, they see a color, it might uh, stimulate this, the smell system. Or they might see numbers as colors. Like seven might be yellow for some people, or blue, or days of the week. So that's synesthesia. And it's really an interesting, uh, uh, it's a, technically it's kind of a disorder, but it's not completely dysfunctional, but, but we classify it. It's classified as a disorder, sleep disorder, eating disorders, and so on and so forth. Okay, so those are what our students um, rated these um, on. And then I'm not going to go into too much detail. Don't worry about that. Uh, Iterator reliability is just a standard thing, obviously, that you know you can't just say someone's rating something and they're really doing it. You have to train them and make sure they're actually rating the way different people would see the same thing. So it has to be reliable, consistent. So we had to get 0.8 reliability between our raters. Um, and, then, and then they were rating these 
uh, pretty simply is either each disorder was either absent, probable, or present. Okay, so you're reading all these paragraphs and then you're making a decision. Okay, is, is, was there any sign of alcoholism? Was there any sign of depression? Nope, then you put zeros. If maybe, you put a one, and if it's pretty clear, you put a two. Okay, pretty, pretty straightforward. Ah, so here's then the main finding that we have right now. Uh, not too different from Ludwig's findings. So uh, our outcome here is lifetime. So this is having at least one mental disorder uh, at any time. And notice, and so what I've done here is I've simplified things into just three categories, uh, artist, scientist, and then our comparison group of athletes, as well as the comparison group of the general population of 46%. And notice that here, 86% of the artists, and this is all the artists, including actors and writers and musicians, and it's not just the poets, 86% um, of them have at least one mental disorder. That's, you know. But then notice that the scientists are also a little bit elevated. There's 61%. Ah, but here's something that's interesting. So these are not creative people, but they're really famous. They're eminent. They're, they're athletes but they're about the same. So what is it per se? Is it creativity or is it maybe notoriety and fame that might elevate disorders? Uh, we don't, you know, that's, that's an interesting question. But right now, if that's the base rate, uh, at least for, it seems like it may not be creativity per se, it may be artistic creativity. Um, um, okay, and then just to show you what the most common, and this is true in the general population too, but the most common disorders in our sample, okay, depression. Look at this. Uh, something like 56% of the artists, writers, musicians, poets, uh, actors, more than half of them in our sample of 80 had depression. That's a lot. That's, you know, again, uh, what I said earlier, the base rate in the population for depression is about 10%. So the base rate is down here. And notice, by the way, that the, the athletes are right at the base rate, about 10%. But the, but the artists are at over 50%. But, ah, look at, look at this. The scientists also are well above average. 40% of these creative scientists also suffer from depression. Anxiety disorders. Uh, of, okay, again... Clearly, the artists are much higher than the base rate, and the base rate for anxiety disorders is something like 5% in the population uh, overall. Um, and so here, it's 30% for the artist, and it's, it's about 18, 16, 17%, something like that for the, for the scientists. And it's a little bit elevated in the, in the athletes, but, but not, not a whole lot. Alcoholism, ah, yeah, a lot of the artists are, are having trouble with alcohol. Uh, much more so than the scientists, uh, and even the athletes are slightly more in that case. And then drug abuse, um, again, uh, artists are elevated, scientists are not. Uh, and then here's one area where it's pretty clear that the athletes are doing more drugs than the scientists, apparently, uh, which is not completely surprising, I guess. And then OCD, obsessive compulsive, I put that up there partly because one of my hunches is that one of the disorders, one of the more common disorders in science might be OCD. And OCD can actually be adaptive as long as it's not too severe because it's all about, you know, being systematic and orderly and organized. And in science, that kind of can be helpful. Um, but as it turns out, um, notice actually that, that there were no athletes with that. 
those are those are zeros, so they don't show up. So they literally are, there's only 21 of them, remember, so it's preliminary. But but no athletes had OCD, attempted or committed suicide, or have autism. Um, but um, uh, for the artist, it's about six percent. For the scientists, it's about uh, four four percent suicide. Ah, this was a little surprising. Notice that even though um, you know. Suicide is, is, you know, people do in fact commit suicide who have different kinds of disorders, but depression is one of the main ones. That if someone is in fact depressed, that's the most likely disorder that's going to lead to suicide. But it's not, you know, schizophrenia does too. But notice that the scientists are a little bit more likely to commit suicide than the artist, even though they're not as depressed, which is kind of, and by the way, suicide, the rate of suicide is only about 1%, 1, 1.5% in the general population. So it does seem like for some reason we have an elevated rate uh, of suicide, both in uh, the artist and, but surprisingly, in the scientist, um, interestingly, and then autism spectrum, um, Asperger's, high-functioning autism, by the way, uh, we're, what we're really talking about here, um, but but it's it's not too, too high. Okay, so what's the general conclusion here? Like we saw with uh, Ludwig, it does appear that there is a connection between Madden, I'm going to use that word in quotes and, and, and take it in quotes because, of course, I don't mean it literally, but it's historical context. Madness or some kind of mental disorder, uh, as we would say now, uh, there is a connection, apparently, uh, between art, creative, world-class creative art and mental illness and different kinds of mental illness, um, more so compared to the scientists and the athletes and it does seem to be that the, the major disorders uh, that artists, that these creative uh, artists do suffer, are depression, number one, anxiety disorders, drug abuse, and alcoholism, compared to the scientists and the athletes. Okay, so it's not just all classes. Notice, by the way, schizophrenia doesn't show up. Schizophrenia is a really powerful and, and destruct, ultimately kind of destructive cognitive disorder. Um, you know, where people are hallucinating, hearing voices, and so on. And if you're actually schizophrenic, it's hard to even, you know, it's, it's hard to, to do things. You might be, you might have really creative ideas, but the schizophrenia tends to be so potentially uh, debilitating that it, that it interferes with creative expression of your, of your ideas. Um, but uh, if you compare scientists to the, to the other famous group, it does look like that, that scientists don't come out of this scot-free. Uh, they do suffer depression. Interestingly, more than than the the comparison group of the creative art uh, athletes. I mean, excuse me, not creative athletes, but just the athletes. Okay, so I want to ask you. I always like to ask uh, your own speculations. And and by the way, I'm we're still trying to figure this out ourselves. So it's not like there's right or wrong answers. So think about this for a second. So so the finding is fairly clear that that it seems to be the creative arts in which some kind of Disorder, especially the mood disorders, tends to be higher than 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 average, um, and not so much in the sciences, and then uh, even less so in, in sports. Although some disorders like drug abuse and alcoholism in, in sports do tend to show up. But what do you think this is? What what, what explanation? Use the um, oh yeah yeah we have a. Did you um, like compare? Pre like fame to uh, uh, post fame because I feel like right. especially with the yeah, athletes yeah, yeah. with drug abuse, depressions, right. because they've made a lot of money, they're famous, Very they're good not. Point. 
Very good point. And, 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 and so, right, so you're asking a really important question, which is, what's cause and effect yeah, here? It's more, uh, when does this happen? Is, is the mental illness a, a result of their fame? Yeah, or, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and what you're suggesting is that, especially in, like, let's say, athletes and so on, uh, they're probably mentally okay going in, but then in the process of being world famous, they get access to these uh, bunch of money and so on. Right. And I think that's probably true. My, the simple answer is we haven't analyzed that. Okay. Uh, and I've actually thought about it, and we may well, we, but that takes a different analysis. You have to go in and then say, when did these first signs happen in their life? Uh, but I am thinking about that. And secondly, but I would say that the artist is probably not so much. Uh, the artist might, in fact, from what I can say from what I know about this in general, is that artists seem to be having these difficulties prior to their world-class creative art uh, very often. Uh, and also, again, notice that with athletes even, it's, it's mainly drugs and it's not like, like anxiety disorders or depression or a result of that, mainly the access to money and fame and so on that you can buy things with you. Someone else had... Yeah. Can we get? Oh, you got. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was gonna say that like for creative artists, it's a better like expressive outlet for such certain disorders, ah. say, to let them like manage and understand uh -huh. the outer life and their life themselves. Okay. So an artist, about a writer or a musician, or a, what are they? What are they doing? What's driving their creativity? Expression. Expression of what? Of their feelings. Of their feelings. They're yeah. they're trying to make sense of. What's happening? Their own internal, you know, uh, and a lot of times it may be something traumatic or dramatic or difficult that they're trying to deal with internally, and they're using their art as a way of kind of trying to, okay, like yeah. portray it or like let right. other people understand. Right. I mean, you think about the essence of poetry, uh, you know, for instance, other kinds of art it, or music, even it's something that you feel and that you want to. Get out. Whereas in in the sciences, it's usually not completely that. But okay, yeah, that's that's. Any, anyone else? <laughs> Is this why dramas are the only movies that win Oscars? Because like <laughs> action and comedy, like no one cares about. And you said earlier that it's your perception. It's uh, so social people, like it's uh, society's perception uh, right, right. that creates fame. Right. And like. So is that what we hold yeah, yeah, yeah. in high no, I, I actually have no, right, I think that's a, that's a good observation, that, that there's certain, we see this in science and we see in art, that it's not just the quality, per se, that gets awarded, it's the, the content. There are certain topics and questions and genres that are more uh, likely to get awards simply because they're really good, or even journalism. You think about what makes a, what wins a Pulitzer Prize, it's usually some socially important topic that also happens to be well done. But if you do something well done and it's, and it's a topic that, that people just don't, it's just not going to be as awarded as much. So I think you're right. I think that, that dramas uh, are more likely to be awarded by the Academy uh, than, let's say, comedies, um, simply because it's, 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 it's appreciated, it's meaningful to more people in that way. Right, so it meets that criteria. Yeah. Hi, um, I agree with what you were saying about the musicians, um, like Johnny Cash, for instance. Ah. Like how he felt inside. Right. He showed that to people, but he also was bad on drugs and stuff right. like that. But that right. helps him cope with. What yeah, you think about the, the association between music and and uh, creativity. Right. That a lot of these musicians, the reason they're on drugs. Right. Exactly. 
There's a reason they're on drugs. They're like eternally because they're self-medicating. Right, exactly. They're trying to deal with all the anxiety and depression that they're feeling. And they want to like look up the par right. and be up the par. Like and yet, see, but, but see, there's tons of people who are depressed and anxious right. and on drugs who aren't creative. Exactly. Too. So it's a certain class of people who then can do something with that inner turmoil and express it in a, in a creative outlet, right. whether it's music or painting or poetry or, right. Yeah. Can I ask uh, two questions? Sure. Uh, well, first I was wondering, uh, I forgot if it was on the list or not, but did you include like narcissism as part of... Uh, yeah, that's a personality disorder, and it was included. Right? Oh, it was included? Yeah. I would yeah. expect that to be kind of high in aspects. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that too, because I, in my dissertation research, I actually studied really cr uh, creative, eminent scientists. Mm -hmm. It wasn't narcissism, but it was, it was uh, arrogance and self-confidence and hostility that showed up among the most creative scientists. People had to be kind of really hyper-confident to succeed. Science is a very, very, we're talking about, you know, kind of like really competitive academic science. To, to, to be at that level, you have to be really, really good. And you have to be really confident. And you have to be convinced that what you're contributing is better than what other people are doing. So there is a little bit of narcissism in, involved in that. And I, and I think you're right. My hunch is that these people probably as a group, it just didn't show up in biographies, but I think as a, as a group they probably are a little bit high on, on narcissism. Uh, because they really are talented, but the world in the world does kind of revolve around them. Yeah. Well, they need that to have that drive to continue. Right. You can't be thinking right. you're the second best. And, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, second my question. second question is, uh, have you guys thought of uh, possibly a better way to conduct a study like this for the fact that sometimes certain things might not come out in biographies where... Yeah, there's the all kinds. I mean, you know, one of the things you learn doing research is there's never a perfect study. Mm -hmm. There's a never a perfect methodology. So every methodology you use has limitations. And yeah, you're right. Uh, there's no doubt that... I mean, ideally, I would have liked to have gotten two or three biographies on everyone mm -hmm. because each biographer is going to be a little bit different. Uh, and there are some people, like Jobs has a few biographies written about him, and they're all going to portray a slightly different thing. But most, it's hard enough to get one biography. And so if you limited it to two or three, you would really cut down your sample and make it less representative. So every decision you make. Um, right, this is only one approach. This is just the, um, I, would, I would actually also like to, I would actually like to follow up. I would like to do a longitudinal study with people who are really creative young people and follow them up to answer the question that you were bringing up a minute ago, which is, um, is, is the mental disorder a cause or an effect? Of their of their fame and, and notoriety, so there's other approaches to this. But that that the problem with that is that it's really hard to follow people up for 30 years. You know. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, mine's not really a question. It's just like an observation uh -huh. to like everything. But um, I've been in band and like drama and everything for since I was in third grade, and I actually went to. Um, it's a school downtown. It's a fine arts college, Columbia College downtown, yep. and it's it's just strictly fine arts. And a lot of people that I talk to, um, this really backs it up. Like it's I can't speak on like celebrity ter terms, sorry, but um, a lot of people that I did know that were involved in the arts did have like problems with anxiety, depression, and how they explained it to me when like if they would ever come out with it, they would tell me that it was their way of making people f feel the opposite of how they felt. So if they were depressed, ah. especially the actors that were that I knew that were acting in like comedy, right. they wanted to right, make people right, right. feel the opposite of how they did, or the musicians. Like right. I've been a musician and a lot of people that I knew wanted them to, wanted people listening to feel the opposite of how they felt well, writing. Well, right, there's a couple of things. First of all, we're in Chicago. I love the blues. Mm -hmm. uh, and the blues, the best definition of the blues is having fun with your blues. 
you're, you're, you're a good blues musician is gonna you're gonna feel great even though it's really about de very depressing kinds of things. So you're taking that depression and you're making it fun, mm -hmm. um, right? And so that's the second thing I was gonna say about that. And if, for those of you in personality, this is Freud had a had an explanation for this as a defense mechanism. And have you gotten to Freud yet? What what defense mechanism uh, are we? <laughs> Instructors can't can't answer. Uh, yeah, what what defense mechanism is this? Right. So Freud talked about it. That that sublimation is when you take this, you know, these thoughts and ideas that are that are really threatening and 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 um, you know kind of dysfunctional, but you're making something constructive, socially constructive, out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was his explanation for creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My son, by the way, goes to Oakland School for the Arts. He's 14 years old. He's been in theater forever. And he really wants to be an actor. And yeah, and I've already started to see some interesting psychology uh, in these little little guys who who are really talented. They're really really talented already in, in all kinds of areas of art. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they they they're not your typical kids. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a question about like the athlete part of it. Yeah. Like, um, like how can like you s you said multiple times that or like because athletes can be original. And okay. Be yeah. I, okay. Here's here's the thing, though. Right. And and I think you can make that argument. Yeah. But they're not pr typically athletes. Even okay, they have to create something both original and meaningful. So what would the where would the originality be? Talent is not necessarily original in a sense. I mean, it, it's it's not creating a new. You well, know. I mean, I mean, athletes do create like do to perform like world class athletes. Like perform new, um, new skills or new moves within sure. the within sure. a game. So yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, and and, and I've thought about that very issue. Um, you know, it's just that that, but 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 an athlete like like a Michael Jordan, for instance, or or now my favorite, because I'm from Oakland, Steph Curry, is doing things that people have never done before. It's true. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So on some basic level, that is creative. But if you're their career, you probably wouldn't necessarily, except for maybe a few exceptions like that. I mean, there might be like I might be willing to argue that there are a few exceptions. But the vast majority of athletes, even who have biographies written about them, aren't people who fundamentally change the game. They were just really, really good. Okay. So to be to, to be even in the creativity question, you would have to fundamentally change the game. And you could argue that Steph Curry is changing the game, or that Michael Jordan changed the game, or that. Somehow Tiger Woods, for instance, changed the game or something like that. But the vast majority of athletes, I think it's fair to say, didn't fundamentally change the game. And they're, they're also executing skills. And it's usually the, the coaches. If you want to argue creativity in, in sports, you might argue for the coach level. The people making the new plans and strategies, uh, like in football and basketball and so on, that might be where the creativity comes in. But the athletes are then just executing those, those plans. Yeah. Hi, I just had a quick question about the, the data on the um, disorders. Uh -huh. um, I believe it was, I forget what the percentage was, it was a very low percentage of people in the study subjects were women. Yes. And so how do you, I know that there's like a two to one ratio with mood and things like that. So how, if that number is so high. Ah, right, right, what, right. What do you make of that? Right, that's, a, that's an actually, that's an interesting point too, because what you're pointing at is like depression, for instance, and other mood disorders, there is a gender uh, imbalance in those. So women are actually more likely to suffer the mood disorders. Men are more likely to suffer personality disorders and, and uh, schizophrenia. Right. So that suggests that these might even be deflated if we really got more women in our sample, which ultimately we're trying to do, and we will do. 
well, I don't know if it'll ever be 50-50. Um, but, um, so right, so that might even be an underestimate at this point. Uh, that's an interesting observation, yeah. So what do you, do you make, what do you make, I mean, do you guys think that that's something then that it's, the number is that much more robust, that it's that much more powerful? Probably, than okay. yep, yep. Good question. What, what are your thoughts on the correlation between creativity and psychedelic drugs? Ah, yeah. Frank Barron, my, my mentor and, and, as I said earlier, intellectual hero, and we wrote that paper together, uh, he was one of the first back in the 60s. He was at Berkeley in the 60s. He was a creativity researcher actually in the 50s, and he was one of the first to do some research on psychedelics and creativity. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about psychedelics, especially the hallucinogens, um, is that they do change perception. And that's what makes them hallucinogens. Um, you know, and again, it's kind of like disorder in general. Some people can do something creative with those, and some people can't uh, or don't. Um, so just because you take a drug doesn't make doesn't automatically make you more creative. But it might. The originality part is is easier. The meaningful part is harder. You know, you can see things and and think things that are really original and different, but it might be word salad. Uh, you know, so it takes a special person then to do something really also meaningful with those different perceptions. Um, yeah, but that, that's, you know, and then there's the mood, the, the mood uh, enhancing drugs that people take. Uh, but yeah, that goes back a long ways too, yeah. Um, going back to that chart also, the data on the scientists uh -huh. committing suicide. Yeah. Do you have a breakdown of like psychologists or psychiatrists because don't they have the highest rate? Yeah, out of, of the scientists, like yeah, you know what? I was thinking about that too. I was thinking, who are, were these scientists who actually? Well, actually, some of them were technologists. Like, for instance, I can say that um, the movie was just made about um, blah, 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 the computer genius who solved the problem. In, um, yeah, World War II. Why am I blanking on his name? Yeah, Turing. Turing. Uh, Turing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, he committed suicide. So that was that was one. And um, there's a couple of others. Um, what I can say is that the psychologists in our sample, I don't think any of them committed suicide. Um, yeah. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this kind of goes back to what you just said, but um, this kind of a statement, I think for like the scientists, why there's such a high suicide rate, is it possibly because they're dealing with chemicals? Ah. Because I read an article hmm. and it was like the highest suicide per profession. And I remember pharmacists was way up there. And I was thinking about it and I'm just like, well, you know, not a lot of people want to jump off a cliff because, you know, they're scared. But, you know, you know, people don't mind taking 20 Xanaxes because you don't really have to. There's no, like, fear with that. So Right, right. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still would have thought that, that, that the arts would have had higher rates of, of, um, of suicide. But, yeah, uh, it, that, that we haven't gotten to yet. But that's an interesting speculation. Yeah. Uh, have you looked into the... Oh. Going back to the chart where it had the higher depression and stuff, and when you were saying yeah. I was going into it, I, was, I kept thinking about it, and with the artist, with, since we had more of an open outlet, but when you kind of go deeper into the mind, we're take whatever we see, I feel like we see reverse. I did dance for 10 years, I did ballet and point, I do poetry, and for me, what I see something as chaotic, and my, you know, I can turn it into order. Right. So we're t depending uh, on where we're right. at, we're taking chaos into order or vice versa, and then putting it out differently. It's not always just our emotions right. of how we want to convey. It's also something, if depending on our living situation or who we were in. See, so right, I think that's a very important point. So what he was saying is that you can take that as an as an artist, you can see disorder and chaos 
and, and want to express it in your own meaningful, organized, ordered way. That's, that's the meaning that you have that you then express. The other point I was going to make is that I think actually that what happens in science, too, to some extent, is if you have some kind of mental disorder early in life in science, you're going to be self-selected out of the profession. Because in order to do science, you need to be pretty reliably there and so on and so forth. So let's say you're suffering from a mood disorder or schizophrenia or something and you're 22 years old and you have maybe all kinds of creative talent. In science, you're not going to have much of a profession, unfortunately, because it's just it, it requires too much you know, time. And Whereas if you're a poet or a writer, you can take six months off, nine months off, have whatever issues you're going through, and then go back into it. Whereas in science, you can't really do that. Do you think isolation is part of the key factor of that, between depression and setting-wise? Because with depression, you kind of feel like you're alone. And so while being isolated, you're alone in your own thoughts, which could also contribute with scientists and suicide rates, because they're on so much pressure trying uh, to figure stuff out. Huh. Yeah, okay. That, that, that's, that, that, yeah, it's hard to know about suicide and, and ultimately when that happens and, and why, and, and loneliness could be part of it. But also, what we know that creative people in general don't mind being alone. They actually even like being alone. Uh, they need to be alone sometimes. Uh, so for them, it's not as, as the room of one's own, you know, Virginia Woolf wrote about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, have you uh, looked into the correlation of people being born earlier in the century to later? with um, their diagnosis of being more prevalent um, later in the century right, right. because of more diagnosis and just like how huh. biographers would. Haven't, the simple answer is we haven't looked at that. Uh, but what I can say is, right, that for instance, depression, rates of depression have gone up a lot yeah. in 100 years. Uh, so it used to be like 1% or 2%. Now it's like 10%. And so that's changed. Uh, but yeah, so we haven't looked at that. One yet, more though. question. Yeah. Would you consider Howard Stern a creative genius? <laughs> uh, I, uh, <laughs> there's a few things I want to say. Uh, my simple answer is no. <laughs> um, actually, I, but, but, I was gonna, but what I was really going to say, though, to be more professional about it, uh, is I just don't know enough about him. I only know him superficially, uh, so I, I don't listen to him, and I don't really know. I mean, I think he's, from what I understand, I mean, he's, he's clearly, you know, uh, has a voice and, and is speaking a lot of people's minds and so on anyway but so I, I personally I wouldn't put them in the creative category I put them in the entertainment category and they're not quite the same thing yeah Zach you're fine uh, one mental disorder that uh, I, I wasn't listening or, or maybe it wasn't on the slide uh, was a bipolar disorder and, and I wonder you got a lot of musicians that uh, have suffered from bipolar disorder people that I've known that I've played music right, with right. have had bipolar disorder they tend to write songs you know, all the time but they hit creative streaks so is yeah, you, you know, I, I, this is so far, we haven't found too much in our sample. We haven't found too much bipolar, which I'm surprised by because there's actually been a lot of other researchers who have found. Uh, actually, if you're really interested in this topic, there's a great book called Touched with Fire, uh, written by a psychiatrist called uh, Kay Redfield Damison back in the 90s. And she analyzed the, the relationship between bipolar and creativity. And her basic finding, by the way, was that there's definitely an association, but it tends to be the hypomanic. It's not the full bone mania. Uh, it's kind of milder forms of, of like cyclothymia, which is a slightly subclinical form of it. Um, because again, like Simonton was saying, if you're full blown with these disorders, it's going to be so dysfunctioning, or as it were, you know. Whereas a little bit of it can be enough to where you can then function and be. Uh, but yeah, the, the manic part uh, is is yeah. I would expect that to be there with the the artist more than it, than it is in my sample anyway. 
it's energetic. Yeah, and yeah. Functional. Actually, because uh, for instance, Virginia Woolf wrote this great. You know, she she was probably bipolar, and she wrote a lot about how her ideas just all of a sudden became really, really fast and flighty, and that she would start. And I've actually known I had a relative who was manic depressive, and when she she started talking about, it, she was just high as a kite. And she would just start having all these ideas, and she would want to write. And, and she wasn't normally a writer, but it's not uncommon for people who are manic to, to want to express it in either writing or music or something. Um, now, what, how meaningful it ends up being is a different question, but they have, are, are having all these ideas, which is ultimately what creative people have, too. So a little bit of mania is good. A little bit. Other questions? I think this young man has a question. Um, do you believe people suffering with psychopathy have any potential? Because I know some some place in Europe, if you are diagnosed with psychopathy, it's grounds to just be institutionalized. Huh. So just to be clear, you're talking about psychopaths. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I've actually studied them completely separate from the creativity question, and I think what you have with with psychopaths is you have different uh, the the true psychopath, the one who can plan out and uh, in very planful way, they're 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 destructive. I don't think there's really much evidence for them being creative. And, I mean, they can be in clever, um, but in general, they're not necessarily really Partly, if nothing else, let me just put it this way, by my definition, the meaningfulness, although you can say, well, they're so clever in their destructiveness that they've created, you know, they're really, really clever criminals, for sure, uh, and really smart ones. Is that creativity? I don't know. Okay, I didn't catch the last part of your comment. Oh, lacking empathy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And we do see that, and we do see that in creative people in general, is that there's sometimes, especially in the, um, in the, science, the, 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 the creative scientists, there is a little bit lack, lacking in social skills, lacking in empathy that, that you sometimes see in psychopaths. But, that's really, but the psychopaths are really, I mean, they hurt people and kill people even and feel no connection and remorse whatsoever. That's a little bit more than just being a little bit awkward. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like. Yeah, are there any other questions uh, anybody has for Dr. Feist? Actually, this is the funnest part of it. I mean, you know, I like all these. A lot of good comments, a lot of good questions. A lot of good observations. At least one more way over in the peanut gallery. Okay. Um, do you think depression went up from like the 1 or 2% to like 10 because People actually go to a doctor now and get diagnosed. Yeah, that's that's sixty-four thousand dollar question. Uh, why why autism too? Autism the rate of autism has gone up a lot. So the question is always: Is it going up because the rate is really going up, or is it because it's just being diagnosed more? And a lot of times, I think it's it's a lot has a lot to do with the diagnosis being more well known and good, and sometimes even overdiagnosed. But I think depression is probably not being overdiagnosed. Um, um, but yeah, so I think, I, but then the question is, then that asks, raises a more difficult question. Why, why is a higher percentage of our population depressed than they were 100 years ago? And I don't think we really have a complete answer to that. More stress, perhaps, in uh, today's life. Yeah. Some people have argued that, that with, with technology taking over so much of our lives and that we're not really working with our hands as much and we're getting more and more bored and, uh, and, and depression ultimately can come from that. So some people are arguing that it has to do with this more modern uh, technologically advanced, that actually is leading to higher rates of depression. Uh, but that's, you know, we don't know that for sure, but that's a speculation. Okay. Any other questions? One, one, 
with technology taking over working not only in a pharmacy but a hospital setting, it is completely understandable because you have so many deadlines to meet and you have to keep an end time order. So if you know, I'm the chain that I work in and I'm at my regular store and somebody comes in, they just got out of the hospital <coughs> and you know, they have three narcos and whatever else. And they're like, Can you get this done for me? And I said, you know, I have to keep in time order and so you're right. stressed to get So the stress and anxiety and anxiety, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a whole different question. Why are, why are we moving toward depression? But, but it, it probably has to do with the, the high level of stress that, that we're under. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate the, the time and, and questions and, and attention. And uh, Dr. Feist, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> the comment on campus. And, uh,